Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. Marathon tapering do's and don'ts. We are getting closer to the fall racing season, which is a little bit different this year because a lot of races have been canceled, but not all of them have been canceled. And even if your race has been canceled, you might be opting to do a virtual race this year. Even if you're not doing a marathon virtually or in person, these tips can still be really useful if you're training for a half marathon, 10K or 5K and hoping to get a peak performance out of yourself this fall after all the training that you put in. The temperatures are hopefully dropping near you soon, but if they don't, don't worry. They will be sometime soon this fall. These cooler temperatures make for prime racing weather, and it's really exciting to go out there and run fast testing your fitness. We want to make sure that we don't get too aggressive, especially during these taper weeks, because we want to save that peak performance for race day. It may be tempting to hammer some of your runs or workouts when the temperatures start to fall, but we want to talk about the importance of the taper and making sure that we actually stick with our training and not overdo it and leave your race in a workout this fall. We will discuss the do's and don'ts of marathon taper, but also these are applicable tips for half marathon, 10K, 5K, or any race distance that you're hoping to do this fall. So I have with me today, Jason Phillippe, who is a coach here at Run for PRs. He has been running for 20 years. He's been coaching for over a decade, and he has a lot of experience coaching the marathon, um, half marathon, and even the shorter distance events as well, um, because he was a coach at the college and high school level for a long time before transitioning into more of a marathon coach now. So as far as the taper, I think there's a few components that we're going to talk about. So nutrition obviously is a huge one. And then the training aspect well, what you're actually physically doing. Um, And then obviously the mental training and just getting in that mindset for your race. And I guess we'll start things off with the nutrition portion. Um, So Jason, when should you start carbo-loading and what exactly is carbo-loading? How should it look? Yeah, um, I think that we should always be carbo-loading, right? We're runners, so what are, what are we eating? I mean, essentially, we're, we're trying to get a good balance of carbs, fats, proteins, um, just really trying to eat a balanced diet. But, you know, what the experts are saying is that essentially you want to be eating that whole week basically leading up to um, up until about the day before. So you want to be eating a lot of complex carbs because that's what that, that's doing is it's um, it's it's – giving your glycogen storages, the, the complex carbs is giving it the long-term source for energy. So um, the night before, you're going to probably switch to more simple carbs because then they're going to be readily, readily available for you for that next day or even that morning of you want to be eating the, the more simple carbs. So I think that, um, you know, we should always be carbo-loading. We want to basically be um, not trying anything new. So going with what it sits well with us. So, you know, you're not trying like new types of bars or anything like that, that maybe have extra fiber. We want to make sure that you're getting the same 
about the same amount that you're used to getting. So whatever you've trained with, and as far as for long runs, um, you want to make sure that you're eating similarly. So if you're used to having oatmeal in the morning or, you know, just like regular toast or something like that or cereal, just go with, go with the foods that you know sit well with you, with you and um, that aren't going to cause any like GI distress during your race. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, we should always be paying attention to our diet. We should always be, you know, fueling with good foods and and having a higher carb intake probably than the average population Um, just because we are training for endurance events and it's important to have those glycogen storages fueled up. Um, Carbohydrates help with so many things, um, including, you know, performance. Um, coming from an athletic standpoint, but as you get you know closer to your goal race, like you said, it, it's even more important to be choosing the correct types of foods and really be paying attention to your diet, fine tuning things. So you're not really going to be trying anything new, uh, but more just really more focusing in and not um, kind of veering off. You know, like the night before the race, you definitely don't want to have you know a beer and a bunch of like wings and fries if that's not something you're you're used to doing. It would be better mm-hmm. to stick with something that's um, a little bit more nutritious and um, whole what you've been eating before, you know, long runs um, and really focusing on the best nutritional days that you've had kind of in your training. Cause you know, we all have days where we kind of fall off what we normally typically eat and we'll, you know, splurge here and there, but you know, what you're putting in your body that week, those two weeks leading up to the race, um, that's going to be fueling your actual performance on race day. So you want to think about it as like gas in your, your engine. And so what sort of fuel do you want to be putting in? Do you want to be putting in premium or do you want to be putting in kind of something that's, that's junkier? It's better to really focus in on the best sort of nutrition in the two weeks leading up to your race, um, and especially, you know, like the couple days before, then to just totally forget about it. But like you said, it's nothing super extreme. Um, I think sometimes people will take this a little bit the wrong way and they think they have to do a drastic change. Um, definitely not the case. Focus on foods you like to eat, foods that you have been eating that are high in nutritional value and more on the carb side. Uh, so I guess the next part of the nutrition that people are interested in so as you're cutting back with your, your mileage and your workouts and all those sort of things, you're probably not going to be burning as many calories. Um, you're not expending as much energy, all those sort of things. So how do you compensate when it comes to fueling and nutrition? Should you just like eat intuitively um, or should you be eating the same amount? What is right? What's wrong? Is there a right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I wouldn't overthink this. I would go off of what your body feels like you need. So I would, I would say my habits are probably pretty much the same as far as like the frequency I'm eating. Um, you know, obviously, if, if, you cut, if, if you cut your mileage like in half and, you're, and you're, you're down to like just like one workout a week and it's not that taxing, you, you may not be naturally as hungry, so you may not need to eat like as much. But for me, as I'm getting really close to the marathon race or whatever, I'm, I'm actually being really mindful of making sure I do try to like you said, fill up my, my fuel tank as, as much as I can. So I'll try to eat something every couple hours, um, even if I'm not that hungry. I just know that I've had, I've had a few times during marathons where I have experienced cramping. And I, I really want to make sure that I am maximizing you know, all, all of my energy storages as best I can. So I'll make sure that I'm eating a little bit more. But as far as like that week or two leading up to the race, um, I would say your, your eating habits should be pretty st- standard as far as like the amount that you're eating. Um, you know, sometimes we do notice like during like peak week or whatever, we get super hungry, like a day or two after that, um, after that long, um, that long last long run, for example. And cause sometimes we're not, we're not that hungry right away after, but a couple of days later we'll notice like, holy cow, like we're super hungry. So we are eating a little bit more 
And then um, I would say just kind of going off of whatever your body feels like you need to do. You know, don't be, you know, like Victoria said, trying drastic changes, new foods, that sort of thing. Um, but I would just try to eat as balanced as possible and, um, you know, not be eating extra. Like if you're going to eat extra foods, don't eat foods that are like high in sugar. You know, just eat a little bit more of the kind of the same foods that you're used to eating. Don't be just eating like a bunch of extra cookies and stuff like that because I don't think that's going to be good for you. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, as we're getting in the taper, you're probably going to be expending less energy, but the first couple of weeks you're tapering, especially in a marathon taper, your body's actually still kind of in that really depleted state and um, you might actually feel more hungry despite cutting back on your mileage a little bit. Um, So it is really important to not like restrict, uh, you know, the food intake. I think it's like you said, important to listen to your body and make sure you're feeling enough because that first, um, taper week, you might actually be more hungry because your body is working on repairing and recovering all of, you know, the, the muscle damage that has gone on during your training cycle. And that's part of the tapering process the first week or two. Um, and you might actually feel more sluggish. You might feel worse off that first, um, week to 10 days just because this recovery process is kicking off. So you might be a little bit more sleepy. Your legs might feel a little bit heavier. Um, and that's just not a result of something you're eating or something you're doing wrong. That's just a natural part of the taper because your body is recovering and that is an important part of the taper. So understanding that and then just feeling your body appropriately. So no need to restrict, no need to worry too much about that. Um, you probably will gain some weight, but again, that weight is going to be the form of a water weight glycogen stores. So don't weigh yourself. Don't step on the scale. Just don't do that to yourself. Um, you need that fuel for race day. And I just really wouldn't worry too much about it. If you're making good choices with your food, So are you supposed to be avoiding any food, um, like sugar, fiber, uh, anything new? Like, how do you know what to avoid? Um, for me, you know, it's, it kind of goes back to what, what does your body do well with as far as like, um, the fiber intake? I don't pay attention to like how many grams of fiber, but if I'm going to try a new food that I know is like really high in fiber and I'm going to introduce something to my diet, like yesterday we just started adding more chia seeds to our diet. And so I wanted to check the fiber intake on that. So something like that, just being aware because you don't want to take something that's really new and then all of a sudden you experience bathroom issues um, on your run or your race. So, um, you know, I don't know what the recommendation is for fiber. I think it's between 25 to 35 grams in a day they recommend. But uh, for sugar, I just know that if I eat something that is high in sugar, I, I sometimes experience just like, you know, the the low feeling where you... about an hour later, you just kind of feel lousy. And so I want to make sure that I'm not eating like extra sugar during this time. Um, You know, if I'm more hungry, I'm going to try to look for other sources that are going to actually make me full in the long run. I'm not going to eat more sweets and sugars. Um, As far as like, like alcohol goes during your, you know, you have to think about what you ate during your training um, for these, for this race. So during your hardest weeks of training, you know, how much alcohol were you drinking? If you weren't drinking anything, I probably wouldn't drink it um, during the week or two leading up to your race. If you were having the occasional glass of wine or beer, I think you're okay to do that as well. Um, but you definitely don't want to increase your intake, um, really of anything that week or two leading up to your race. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, trying to avoid things that we know like aren't great for our diet, like excess sugar, 
um, or, you know, new things that we haven't tried. Like you said, uh, you don't want to like overload on fiber one bars or something, right? The, the day of, uh, (laughs) the race. So just not do anything new. And, you know, if you're getting closer to your race day, it might be important to maybe start thinking about cutting out, you know, excess sweets, um, all those sort of things, just because, you know, sugar isn't like a great fuel source for your body. Um, it can kind of do weird things to you. So I'm just a fan of trying to keep things a little bit uh, healthier that week um, and then saving kind of like those high sugary t- treats for, you know, later after the marathon just because of like GI distress that can happen with uh, a lot of sugar. Um, and I know sometimes people, they will they'll get GI distress maybe a couple days later or whatever. Um, so it's just really important to keep things, um, as healthy as possible. And then as far as alcohol goes, like you said, like if you weren't using it during training, definitely don't, um, start during the taper. Uh, but you know, if you're someone that enjoys a glass of wine here and there, um, I don't think it's like necessary to cut out 100%, um, to each their own. I, I do know, you know, sometimes people, they do cut that out and they, um, feel a lot better. So just kind of knowing yourself and how you feel the day after drinking. If you're someone who, you know, just feels really dehydrated and, and not great, um, the day after having a glass or two of wine, like maybe it's time to cut that out. But if you're someone that you, you just really like the glass of wine on wine and the next day you feel a hundred percent amazing, that's great too. So then you can continue drinking it. There's no like hard set rule or study that says, you know, alcohol is really going to inhibit your performance. Um, especially in, you know, small amounts, uh, definitely stay away from like binge drinking or like doing a whole bottle of wine probably would not be, um, ideal, but you know, a glass here or there, whatever you, um, feel good about doing and then not feeling like too dehydrated. And I think that's the biggest thing is making sure you don't get dehydrated. Um, especially, you know, the week of the race, if you're, if you're drinking alcohol, just like making sure you have water with your beverage. So if you're going to have a glass of wine at dinner, um, make sure you're drinking like at least, you know, 16 ounces to go with that. Um, just to make sure you're not getting your body kind of off, off kilter there. So one of the last questions, um, should you try something new, like going vegan kind of in the weeks leading up to the race? Um, because you know, a lot of times people like will go through their training cycle. They'll eat like not a healthy diet. I mean, it's all about you're, you're starving, right? So it's marathon training hanger. You're, you're going, you're like any Taco Bell McDonald's, like, let's just say that's your diet. Um, fast food, or like, you know, the, the stuff you throw in the microwave, all that sort of stuff. So super highly processed sodium, all that stuff. What would you recommend? Uh, how does one kind of make it so their fuel is better for race day? Do you advise switching anything? What if someone just is on a kick and they just watched a documentary on Netflix and like now is the time they decide they want to go vegan? What are some ways that you can like avoid maybe perhaps like a disaster happening if you make a drastic diet change the week of a marathon or a month before? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend a drastic change in anything the week of your marathon. You know, you have to think about like, what is your, what's your top priority? Is it to all all of a sudden change your diet and go vegan? Or is it to run this certain time that you've been training for? And, um, you know, it's okay if you want to make those lifestyle changes, but maybe just think about pushing it back another week or two just to make sure that you 
you know, you're making them at the right time. It's kind of like we think about, um, you know, stress and, and everything we have going on in our life, right? And sometimes it's harder if we, if we have two or three things happening at once versus just if we can focus on one thing at a time. So I think that, you know, I, I don't really change that much. What I try to focus on, especially that like week leading up to the, the big race would be just focusing on getting a little bit more fresh foods in my diet and um, a good a good variety. So I like to focus on getting a little bit more like sweet potatoes or, um, you know, vegetables with with like the rice that I'm eating. I, I always make sure, you know, I, I like to have protein of some sort. So I always make sure that I have, um, you know, at least three of those combinations of like a rice, a vegetable and a protein or some sort of grain. It could be quinoa or it could be um, yeah, pasta as well. So I'm always focused on that and just making sure I'm, you know, I'm, I'm balancing my carb to fat to protein ratio as best I can. And then, um, you know, that I'm not like skipping any meals or anything like that. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing that comes with making drastic diet changes for the better, kind of like if you decided to go vegan or gluten-free, whatever, um, I have made those changes before. Uh, I don't eat gluten. So like going gluten-free is like a whole, different, you know, ball game, obviously you said it's stressful, but I think the biggest thing, you know, if you're going to go vegan, uh, or wound free or whatever, whole 30, whatever it is, um, the biggest thing I would be worried about is that you're not getting enough food. So it's not really about like making a huge drastic change. It's just like, well, how can you be sure that you're going to be eating like adequate amount of calories if you've never actually been on that diet and like sustained, you know, your endurance training on that diet. So that's really more, I think, where we're coming from uh, a point of concern. It's not like that we're saying it's a bad decision or that, you know, you can't do it. We're just saying like you'd have to get it so accurate and so right Right. those first couple weeks. There's not a lot of room for error. So if you are going to be making that change, um, and let's just say, you know, you find out you're celiac, you have to eliminate gluten right away. Um, The biggest thing, or vegan, you just have to eliminate it, whatever, like you just decided um, I would say figure out how you can do it in the least drastic way possible. So for me, when I went um, gluten-free, like I just took everything that I was already eating and just found like the gluten-free version and I didn't make drastic changes. Like I didn't all of a sudden introduce quinoa when I wasn't eating it before. That kind of came later. So I just took whatever I was eating before and just found the gluten-free version. So if you decide to go vegan, I would say... Take exactly what you were eating before and just find the vegan substitute because there literally is a vegan substitute for everything. Um, Make sure that you're getting adequate calories um, if you're already making that change. And then if you're you're someone who is trying to like get off fast food, um, just look at what you're eating when you go out to eat, you know, Taco Bell or whatever and make it at home, right? So you can, if you have four tacos, make four tacos, um, all that sort of stuff. So the biggest thing, just making sure you're getting enough food, getting enough fuel, because the last thing we would want is for you to make a drastic diet change where you think you're making a healthier decision only to find out you're under eating and under fueling. Um, Because we've definitely been there where we've like said, oh, let's try, you know, eliminating uh, processed sugars and, and all this stuff and only to find out like we were under eating. And so that's why it makes the diet harder to follow. So you just got to make sure you're getting enough, um, nutrients there, especially in a marathon taper. So for training, um, we talked about nutrition, kind of when to carbo load, what to eat, what not to eat, all that stuff. Training is kind of another huge factor for people, right? So you put in all this work, 
Um, you want to make sure you taper correctly those two weeks, three weeks leading up to the race. Um, as far as the taper goes, kind of explain to me a little bit overview of a taper and kind of what, what it is in terms of training. Yeah, so traditionally a taper is going to probably start three weeks out from your marathon, you know, after your last really hard uh, or your last really high volume run. So probably your, probably what would be your longest run of the training cycle. Um, then you're going to start to see probably like a 30% reduction in mileage or so uh, each week until you come, come down to the week of your marathon where you're just going to be doing short, easy runs. Um, and you may even imp- implement a few more rest days throughout the taper. Um, a lot of times people feel really really sluggish probably a couple days into the taper for a period of about like seven days or so. They just start to feel like Victoria said, your body, especially if, you, if you're not eating un, um, enough, like let's say you, because you, you run a little bit less, you just start to eat a little bit less. Your body still needs probably more calories or just as much as it needed that week prior because you're repairing all the damage that was done. So um, it is common to go through that period where you feel sort of um, just sluggish. Um, the runs maybe feel harder than they should, or the pace feels harder than they should. So you want to slow down. Um, for some though, the taper might feel great. Like I'm someone who I don't really experience the sluggish feeling. Maybe I do for a day or two, but for the most part, um, you know, I've done fall marathons. So here in the Midwest, the temperature is always changing in the fall. So it's getting cooler. So you're actually feeling the effects of of feeling better on your run. And so I think that for me, I always like that. And I'm, I'm someone who struggles with like making sure I don't push it too much during the taper. And so I need to make sure I slow down. And so, especially that week of like the marathon, we might start to feel like, Oh man, I've already been kind of tapering for two weeks. I'm ready to go right now. I think that that's a very common feeling. A lot of runners are going to feel and just know that it's okay to just be patient and just continue to run short and run easy. And, um, you know, you can throw in some accelerations, maybe at like marathon pace or something like that, but I wouldn't do anything too much. You know, if you, if you're following a training plan, make sure you follow, follow your workouts or whatever, but, um, you don't need to worry about losing fitness in those short, you know, period of two weeks or something like that. You know, you're still out there, you're still running. Um, you just got to be patient and, um, trust that you put in the work and now it's, you just wait you're just playing the waiting game. So, um, I wouldn't recommend going any faster. You can, you know, you can always slow down a little bit if you're feeling sluggish. I think that's totally fine. Um, but it's, it's normal to feel, you know, to feel good, to feel the same or to feel worse. I think that every runner is different. It could depend on the time of year. It could depend on how experienced you are with training. Um, so just know that each marathon might be a little bit different for you as well. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think, you know, a lot of people will feel bad during the taper and they'll also feel good. Uh, You kind of go through, you know, the highs and the lows. I I think with every taper, you're going to have feelings of both. Um, And I think it's important not to kind of read too much into how you're feeling. So if you feel really sluggish for a week in there, um, I would say that's normal. If you feel like you're not doing enough for a week in there and you're really antsy, that's also normal. So you're probably going to feel bad the first couple of weeks and then you're going to start to feel really good, almost too good, like you want to go out and do more. Um, it's just part of the process and, you know, they always say trust your training and that's what they're saying. They're saying trust it enough where you don't feel like you have to go out there and hammer it um, because you're saving it for that race day. And typically when I see people kind of overdo it in the taper, they're not getting that extra edge on race day. So, you know, they say the taper will bring you between like three and 7% uh, benefit on race day, which isn't like a ton, but if you go out there and you're hammering it, 
the taper is going to give you like 0%. So you really have to make sure you're not overdoing it for sure. Um, and I think we all kind of struggle with that at times. We want to test our fitness because our legs finally feel fresh. We want to know like, what could I do on this workout today? But it's best to leave your workouts as workouts. You don't want to leave your marathon race, your half marathon race in a workout during the taper. That would be a huge mistake. So just being patient, waiting, and trusting in things. Um, I know you kind of talked a little bit about workouts, uh, but tell me a little bit about long runs. Like how long should your long run be? You know, they say the 20 miler should be two, uh, three, four weeks out. Um, but what, what about like that week before, um, is there like a cap for the duration of how long you should go? What if you just aren't feeling it? Is it okay to just skip that last like nine, 10, 11, 12 miler? Yeah, I think that there's a few factors that play in the, into that answer here. Um, for one, thinking about like, are you, is your race on a Saturday and your long run's always on Sundays? Cause that means that you really only have six days in between your last long run and your race. Um, so thinking about maybe shifting that run or just shortening it altogether. I think most runners are probably going to be somewhere between seven to 10 for that last long run. Um, you know, an experienced marathoner might like a 10 or 11 miler, but I think most people are going to be around eight. I think that's pretty common. Um, you know, about an hour, maybe, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. That's probably about the time frame that you're looking at for your last long run. You know, the two weeks out time frame. that's probably where it's going to be about 12 to 14. It just kind of depends on, again, how experienced you are, how you're feeling coming off of that um, 20 or your, you know, your longest run yet. Um, also, was that run three weeks out or four weeks out? So a couple factors play into that, the answer of that. But I think um, for the most part, you're looking at keeping keeping all your runs pretty short that last week outside of that that last long run, which could be anywhere from seven to 10 days out. Um, another rule of thumb traditionally has been don't run um, as many miles as y- there are a number of days before the race. So, you know, if you're a week out from your race, your last long run should be about seven miles, um, especially if you're not a very experienced marathoner. You know, you don't want to run 10 or 11 miles a week out. Um, so if you're someone that does your long runs like on Wednesdays or Thursdays and the marathon's not to like a Sunday, you know, then you might be okay doing that 10 mile because you're 10 days out. So it just really comes down to the timing and your experience. Um, as far as workouts go, I, I think that, you know, it's important that we are careful with doing workouts the week after peak week. We want to make sure that your body is, um, you know, having ample time to recover. And um, if you're someone like me, I sometimes have overdone it at that time. And I've, I've ended up kind of not even making it to the start line for a marathon or I've had an injury flare up. So you really want to make sure that you're being cautious. Um, again, that will depend on your experience with workouts and, and how many marathons you've done and how many long runs you've done over that distance. But typically you're probably looking at one workout a week. Um, and it's not going to be anything like, like Victoria said, where you're racing your workouts. It's, it's kind of like probably a, an effort that's going to be about a 70% effort. So nothing too hard and taxing. Um, you know, you're not looking to gain a whole lot of fitness during those last few weeks. It's more about just kind of maintaining. Um, and for me, it's more of like a mental training, like getting your, you know, you're visualizing your focus, you're thinking about like how you want to be feeling during the marathon. And so when you're doing those workouts, that's kind of what you're thinking about. And you're not so worried about pushing the pace. Yeah, that's really good advice. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have the tendency to want to overdo it with their training, but, you know, typically less is more, especially as you get a week out or so. Um, it's important to kind of keep some workouts in there, but I think more marathon um, pace workouts is good because then you kind of know how to dial in a marathon pace or whatever 
you know, if you're doing half marathon, um, it's good to do some half marathon pace stuff. Uh, because the biggest goal during the taper is just to kind of maintain what your, you know, your fitness and your mental um, sharpness, and then obviously to be able to dial into those paces. So you want your body to kind of be like a machine and know exactly what, you know, your goal race pace feels like jumping in, jumping out of that pace and just kind of knowing, um, this is what it's going to feel like. This is getting your body really primed up and ready to run that exact pace. Uh, your mileage, you're going to be reducing, obviously, you know, you said you're going to be drastically cutting that long run, of course, but I think, you know, three weeks out from a marathon, you're going to be doing about 75% of what you did the week before, you know, on your peak week. And then as you're two weeks out, you're going to be doing 75% less of that, or or not 75% less, sorry, 25% less um, each week. And then, you know, the week of the race, you're going to probably be doing 50% of what you did during peak week. It's going to be pretty low volume, um, but then you have to really remember that you're going to be doing a 26.2 mile run in one run. So, that's why we're really tapering because that's a, that's a ton of volume in one day um, that we're tapering for because you don't want to go into that with uh, a lot of mileage on your legs. Um, it's a big event and you're going to be racing it, so you want to be um, keeping it down. Even if you're doing a half, you're still going to be doing a similar taper, so it's probably going to be more like a two-week taper. Um, but every week, again, it's going to be a 25% less than what you did the previous week um, for the most part. And same with even for, you know, a 5K, 10K, that's kind of like a golden rule about two weeks, um, 10 days for a taper for the uh, shorter distance stuff. You're just going to like reduce by 25% each week or every five days um, if you're doing a shorter distance race. So I guess the next, you know, we talked about training, we talked about nutrition. The next phase, maybe argumentatively the most important phase is the mental training. So we all know, you know, the physical aspects that go into um, getting ready for a race. And a lot of people probably are physically ready. They're they're ready to go. They're in the best shape that they're going to be in, all that stuff. But where it really comes down to it is that mental training and kind of being, you know, the best version of you mentally on race day. Um, So tell me a little bit about uh, pacing plans and mental strategy when it comes to taper for you personally, um, because I know you're someone who doesn't really get a lot of like race anxiety. How do you like combat that and what sort of tips do you give to others? Yeah. So for races, I, my body definitely gets nervous. I've always been someone, especially morning off. I'm like, my body's nervous. It knows what it's about to go through. So I'm not someone that just goes into a race carefree, but I, I don't kind of consider myself like someone that gets worked up mentally about like worried about certain things. Um, the only time where I have is maybe I, I worry a little bit about like something hurting on my body that was causing me problems. So I just want to make sure that it's strong enough to get through. But for the most part about pacing, it's, it's for me, I, I need to make sure that I'm confident and kind of where my training has led me. Um, and, you know, as, as we're getting close to the race, we're always assessing like what are, where our fitness is at and what our goals should be. Um, and then come race day, it's all about just executing a smart race plan. Um, and I have to tell you, I've had races where, um, you know, I've, I've had a certain pace plan and I've stuck to it in the early miles, like maybe the first 5k or 10k. And the outcome is actually further off than a race where I've maybe been further off the pace plan in the first 5k or 10k. So I maybe was able to start a little bit slower. And instead of getting worried that, oh my gosh, I'm so far off my pace, it really allowed me to be conservative of my energy and to come back with like a massive negative split. And that allowed me to actually run like a PR or finish closer to the ultimate goal that I set for myself. So 
just because you have a pacing plan and, you know, as you're checking in on that pace throughout checkpoints of the race, that doesn't mean like your race outcome is decided on whether or not you're five seconds fast, five seconds slow. So don't get discouraged. That's one tip I'd have for you um, based on your check-ins. You know, sometimes the miles can be a little off. You know, we know we're running through cities or areas where the Garmin's might be a little off. Their mile markers sometimes are pushed back or pushed forward a little bit. Those could be a little off. Um, don't just feel the need like you need to hang with the pacer at the very beginning because you're trying to run this certain time. Um, so you need to go out whatever the pacer goes out. Like go off a of feel. Um, it's okay to let the pacer go a little bit and then just be committed to the idea of kind of closing the gap and catching them later on as you're feeling good. Um, I always try to train where I run negative splits. So for me, that's my mindset is I'm always thinking about that and feeling like I'm saving, you know, the energy so that I'm more efficient for the later miles. Um, and I think that that really helps with staying committed to reaching your goals later on, especially when the times get tough, you have, at that point, you start to have the, you know, the confidence, you remind yourself that, no, you're going to be able to do this because you were smart and you were conservative. And so, um, and you've done, you've done workouts and training that indicate you can handle this pace when it's tough. So um, I think that it just comes down to, you know, having your, having your pacing plan be aligned to like your goals and um, where your fitness is currently. And then obviously you want to use that to make sure you're not going um, overboard and running too fast, especially in the early miles, you know, pacing plans, they may all be different based on the course that you're at, you know, like Boston, for example, it's tough. It's really tough because the first mile is a lot of downhill. So it's, it's like, whoa, what do I do? Do I go out faster than my average pace? Do I go out slower? Um, Do I go out right on pace? And so, you know, that's where having a coach, I think, helps with with talking those things through and applying it to, you know, maybe differently based on the course uh, or based on the weather or based on your how many marathons you've done and that sort of thing, too. So um, and also maybe looking at other races that you've done, because we all know that we're we're different when it comes to running, you know, marathons like some people are they've only had good experiences when they run even splits or negative splits or They've only ran PRs when they've ran slight positive splits. And so it really just depends on those experiences. Um, But yeah, I think the mental training, you know, when we reach that point where we put in all the work physically, you know, um, we're getting close to the race, you know, there's nothing you can do really physically at that point that's going to have a drastic outcome on the race. It's it's all mental at that point. Um, You know, you're either going to execute or maybe you make a mistake mentally and and, um, you learn from that for future races. Yeah, that's some really good advice. You know, mentally, I think, is the hardest part for people. And and getting inside your head too much before race day, I think, is never a good idea. It's always good just to kind of go in with a more relaxed mindset. I know that's easier said than done, but you just have to have confidence in kind of what you've been doing over the course of the last couple of months and weeks. And know that this isn't like the last race you're ever going to do. This isn't the end-all, be-all. It's just part of your journey. And regardless of how, you know, the race goes for you, maybe you, you know, set a huge PR, maybe you don't even finish the race. Um, It's not an indication of any of the work that you put in. Um, You just have to be confident in what you did in training and where you are right now and and just hope for the best and and enjoy that experience on race day, um, whatever it may be. And, you know, everyone has days where, it doesn't go to plan. Um, you think about kind of the greatest marathoners right now that are out there. 
they've definitely had days where it's just rough. Um, Galen Rupp has dropped out of a lot of marathons and he's had really hard days, but he's also, you know, come out as the number one marathoner at Olympic trials two years in a row. Um, he's a great marathoner. So just know that even the greatest of marathoners, the greatest of racers, they have days where it just doesn't come together. And for whatever reason, you know, you might have a day like that. And just thinking about all of the scenarios for me kind of helps me before race day. Cause I'll think, you know, what if it's the worst possible outcome? What's the worst thing that could happen? Cause a lot of times when we're nervous, it's because, you know, we're worried about all the different outcomes. So I like to go to like worst possible case scenario, just to explore, like, what am I really afraid of? Um, and you know, when you, when you realize, okay, the worst possible thing that could happen is that like, I don't finish or that I run like way slower than I want to. And then it's just almost like laughable because it's like, well, that's not that big of a deal. It's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, I'll still be able to run again. And, and then I ask myself, what will I do if I don't finish? What will I do if I run really slow? And then really the, the answer is just, I just train again. I do another cycle. Uh, I guess it would be something that you could laugh at in the future. Um, there's really nothing to be afraid of or nervous of um, when you kind of face them head on, like what's the worst that could happen, right? So I think then just going into it confident and then asking yourself, like of all of the times that you've raced, how often has worst case scenario happened? You know what I mean? It, it doesn't, typically happen. Um, usually what happens is, you know, you have like a mediocre day and even on a mediocre day, you can still find a lot of ways to be proud of yourself, um, for the performance that you put in. And I just like to go in with the expectation that, you know, I have A, B and C goals and I'm going to be happy with how I perform, um, based on like mentally where I'm at. So for me, I don't even really care, you know, what my time is. I just care about more what were my thoughts mentally during the race? Because I've had races before where I run a great time, um, but during the race, I just was very negative to myself, like saying, oh, like you suck or whatever. You know, you have those negative thoughts and, and I feel really bad when I finish and everyone's like, oh, your time was great, your time was great. And you don't feel great when you finish because you just got done um, beating yourself up while you were running. So for me, I'd rather have a race where I feel good and I feel confident during the race and I have positive talk and maybe run a little bit slower than a race where, you know, I'm, I'm having so much negativity and I'm just not there mentally. So also thinking about it from that perspective is you got to be kind to yourself and you have to practice that. So it's not something that just comes naturally to some people. It's something that you really have to be conscious about um, and not allowing certain thoughts to kind of creep up. So during the taper, if you find that, you know, negative thoughts are creeping up, I think it's really important to identify that and to redirect your thoughts and thinking, okay, why did I just think that? Where is it coming from and what can I say instead? Because those same thoughts are probably going to creep in on race day and it's really important to kind of get down to the root of that and to come up with, you know, a rule. Like, what am I going to do when this happens on race day or if I have these thoughts on race day? Um, Because it's going to happen and you're going to get negative somehow if you haven't found a way to cope with those negative thoughts. They're going to affect you um, in a worse way. So just having a way to kind of block them out or redirect them is going to be really important. Um, And I think a lot of people don't talk about this topic, but it's huge. And maybe we should do a separate podcast episode just on the same positive during a race. I think some people do this a lot better than others. And you typically wouldn't know because it all goes on inside of 
the person's head. And I know, you know, when I first started getting into coaching, a lot of people would ask me like, wow, really, like what sets apart someone who's really successful and someone who's not? And, you know, the biggest thing that the only thing that really would come to mind, which was always very surprising to me, is the people who are successful actually believed in themselves. Um, the things that they would say to me is like, no, I know I'm in around this time. And, and the confidence that they like exuded, like I could feel it. I was like, wow, like you're really confident. Like, and it was, it's almost like they believed it so much that nothing was going to stop them. And, you know, that does not say that they always reached their goals. They definitely didn't, but they seem to have better performances um, than those who maybe were unsure and kind of looking for more of like a affirmation, like, are you sure I'm in this good of shape? Because if you, if you really have to be asking, um, which is totally fine to ask people, you know, to kind of get that reassurance. You know, I ask Jason all the time, like, what type of shape do you think I'm in? Um, but really, you should know, you know, you should know deep within yourself, like what type of shape you're in and be confident in that. And I think that is the biggest thing that you can do to be ready for, for race day and, and don't rely on other people or certain, you know, times on race day to tell you what type of shape you're in. You know, um, deep down, I think everyone kind of knows. And I think it's important to be confident in that and don't like shy away um, from it. And, you know, that doesn't mean you have to like declare it from the rooftops. It just means in your head, be confident about what you can do out there um, and hope for the best. So do you have any last minute thoughts about mental toughness or mental positivity? Well, I always think about, you know, what you said was was perfect about just um, the people that are, you know, that we see experience the most success and what what you said, they, they exude that confidence, right? But I think it's like, yeah, the people that have like the positive self-talk and um, what's the most important part about like the the marathon experience or your race experience is the outcome and, and, and um, the finish, right? Because like that ultimately is the outcome of your race and how it was. So at the finish, like how do you want to be feeling? Um, and when I talk about the finish, I don't just mean when you cross the finish line. I'm talking about like, that last like, I don't know, 20% of your race. I think that that is so important. And so I'm always thinking about that in my training and in my, um, you know, lead up to the race and especially during the race, like just those constant reminders of like how you want to be feeling at the end of the race, um, because that's the most important part. And that's where a lot of people, you know, will, if, if they're not focused on feeling good at that point, they sometimes fall apart early, much earlier on in the race. And so it goes back to like making sure your pacing plan is set up so that you can feel good at that point in the race so that you have a shot to meet your goal. Because if you get too aggressive and you run early on, like it doesn't matter. It's kind of like the people that start the race super fast. We, we go to these local races and you see the, the 5K or whatever, and these, these people, they start out sprinting, right? And they go to the front. That doesn't matter. Like you need to, and you, you know, as someone who's more experienced of a runner, you see that and you reassure yourself like, okay, well, are they going to be there at the end? And chances are no. And so you just stay calm and you wait and you stay patient. Same thing during the longer races. You need to stay calm, stay patient, um, and stay mentally committed to what you're there to do. And hopefully you feel good enough to execute in the last 20% and you can have a good race. Um, so yeah, hopefully you found some of this beneficial. Um, I always think mental training is, you know, it's so important, especially when I was coaching high school athletes, college athletes, um, you know, that was like the number one indicator on how their race was going to go. You, you knew based, you knew where their fitness is at, but it's all about like how mentally, how engaged they are, how much confidence they have, how bad do they want it? 
And if those factors all add up, you know it's going to be a good day. Yeah, that is really funny because at that, you know, younger age, it really does boil down to, like, confidence. And I know, you know, there were times before a race where I I saw you, like, tell someone what you thought they could run and, like, their eyes just lit up and then they go out and they, they run, you know, that time or faster because it's, like, once they believe it, once they hear it, and once they, like, implant that seed in their mind... They're just going to go out and get it and nothing's going to stand in their way. Whereas the opposite is possible. If they don't think that time's possible and they don't think anyone believes in them, um, you know, it, it's just like becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So mental training super important. So stay um, on edge and, you know, fake it before you make it or fake it. Yeah, fake it before you make it. Like even if you deep down are like, uh, I don't know, it's better to be a little bit more confident, I think, than to like go in like wishy-washy because chances are you probably are in a little bit better shape than you think you are. Um, unless you are someone who usually is like pie in the sky dreamer, but that I think it's more common to find a runner that doesn't believe in their abilities than the other way around. So it's better to sway on that, uh, you know, fake it till you make it sort of thing. So I hope that you guys found this kind of useful. It's getting a little long here, but we just had so many things to share on the tapering and, you know, mental aspects as in terms of um, what you can do to stay positive. So if you ever have any questions or, you know, you need like a tapering plan or you want to work with us for your next training cycle, we would love to chat with you and get you set up on a free seven-day trial. We can even do pacing plans, um, whatever you need. So if you fill out the form at www.runforprs.co, we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial, um, working with any one of our coaches um, to, you know, become the best version of you. So thanks for tuning in.